As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, Whitney, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to dive into, um, we're going to, we're about to have a real juicy conversation, aren't we? I'm excited. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So you are my Southern sister. Are you from South Carolina originally? I am. Yes. Born, raised, grew up here. It's been, been a blast. I left for a little bit, left Charleston to go to college and was ready to get back to the coast. So Fell in love with my now husband and bolted back. So you grew up in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Okay. I grew up in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, which is okay, a very, yeah, very, East Coast too. yeah, very small Southern town. So we would frequent Charleston growing up. Like that was what you went there. You went to Savannah, you went to like uh-huh. Williamsburg, Virginia, like, you, you know, you kind of hit all the Southern spots. That's where your uh-huh. parents take you in the summertime for a little vacation. So I've Absolutely. been there quite a few times. Yes, you're very lucky. North Carolina's got all those beautiful mountains and you've got the beach. I was just telling Megan earlier, for those of you listening, my idea of elevation is like stepping up on a sidewalk. I mean, I just, I've lived on flat land forever. So you've got got it all there. I mean, I was laughing inside because you were like, it's zero elevation here. So, so we'll get into this too. Whitney is training for a half marathon, right? Yes. Okay. I want to, I want to hear all about that. Um, but I was laughing inside because I'm like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really grow up around a lot of hills. North Carolina is somewhat hilly. I grew up in the center of the state. I went to college at the beach at UNC okay. Wilmington. So like it's flat. And then now I live in Florida and there's zero elevation anywhere. So I totally get you. I like to be on flat land. It's a, uh, it's a little bit difficult. I just went to Denver and thought I was going to train there. And it was just an absolute nightmare for my body. <laughs> I stepped outside and it was just bonkers. Yeah. I got about 30 seconds in and I was like, this is going to be a really pretty walk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So before we pressed record, I was telling Whitney, I was like, I've kind of changed the direction I take the interview style episodes. And it's more of just like having real conversations, like what's going on in each other's lives and talking about it. Obviously, we're both entrepreneurs. We're both moms. We're both wives. You've got two kids. Are they both under five? Got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I'm in the thick of it, but I love this age. I am a five-year-old trapped in a middle-aged woman's body. So I'm having a ball with them. They bring out so much creativity and I love the way they see the world. I feel like we often lose as adults, just the magic of the tiniest, tiniest things. And it's really been a joy to re-see the world through their eyes. They're just yeah. fascinated by everything. And I love it. I'm like, oh, we should be. This is, there is magical shit going on all around us all the time that we are witness to. And we just forget how to see almost. It's like yeah, leaving Neverland when we grow up. And I just love walking around with them. I mean, everything's so cool. Their imaginations are just exploding all the time. I 
we're all creative, but I really value creativity. It's one of my top values and it's really given me a chance to make that a part of my day-to-day life, which I, I love and have missed. I, I grew up, I left Neverland a while ago and it's been nice to get back, back to it. So, yeah. yeah so we've got a 12 year old daughter, Brighton. I talk about her sometimes on the show, but you were saying how they, you know, as parents, we get to see, it's sort of like you get to live your life all over again mm-hmm. because you're sort of living through them and you're getting to see the world through their eyes all over again. So Brighton's in the sixth grade. And I don't know if this is just her. I don't know if it's like partially me, like wanting her to stay like young and and little. I'm like, I don't, please don't grow up. Like just stay innocent for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But even as a sixth grader and a 12 year old, she still has like that little girl essence, that very innocent mm-hmm. essence, that like fascination with new things and the mm-hmm. creativity. And I'm like, don't ever, like, don't ever get rid of that. Like, keep that. Right. Yes. Like you just want to bottle that up. And I think some of us evolve into adults that are lifelong learners. I think that's how that transforms. But if we could make a point in our lives to focus on creativity and really just give ourselves the space to do that. I think that's what happens to us as grownups. We just, we pack our days with so much, you know, just life stuff. And we never make a priority to take space just to think and be. And I think once you learn how to do that, a whole new world opens up and you can become childlike again and have that wonder. And it's really just been beautiful because they, they forced me to have what I didn't know that I needed, which was space to be creative. And it's just, it's been a joy. I love this age so much. I am so terrified for when they become teenagers. Oh my goodness. But I'm trying to soak it all in right now before, before they have all the tools they need to just run me over a mile a minute. So yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I've noticed is the relationship just starts to change a little bit. Like the way that you parent them changes, but you know, I don't know if you know this. I was a high school teacher in my twenties. I did not know that, but that makes sense. You're yeah, a really good so teacher I, now. I never thought I was going to have kids. I was never really interested in kids. I've never really been interested in small children. At least mm-hmm. the thought I would always say to myself, even like growing up and in my adulthood, it's like, I don't know what to do with little kids because I always gravitated towards teenagers. I love like 16, like 15 to 18, 19. It's like the coolest age. Uh-huh. And now lots of times elementary teachers say the opposite. They don't right. want, they don't know what to do with high school kids, but I'm, I'm that loving. way. It's yeah. just, I it's would be an a, elementary teacher. It's I'm sending a, them to camp Megan when they, Oh turn yeah. Send teachers. them over to me. <laughs> send them over to me. I love that age, but it just like the parenting relationship just changes. And I mean, I'm, I'll just sort of prep you for what it's like when they like get to middle school. I am getting so sad because Mm -hmm. you, you watch your child, like they're getting taller every day. Mm -hmm. They're like exploring all these new things every day. They're changing every single day. Their facial structure, like Mm -hmm. looks different every single day at this age. You know, they're, they're wearing braces. So their teeth is changing. Everything is just like looking different. If you have girls, you know, puberty starts changing Mm -hmm. their bodies and you start seeing that and you're buying bras and all these things. And it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm just like, crying sometimes because I'm like, you, I'm never going to have those moments when you were a little kid ever again, they're totally gone. And I remind Brighton of that. Sometimes when we go to bed and we snuggle, I'm like, you know, the day that you had today, it's like the last, it's like the last time you're ever going to experience the moments you had today. 
So mm-hmm. like cherish every single day, no matter what's going on, because it's the last time you're ever going to have it. I love that you have that and that you're educating them on that. I, I think it's a gift really. I had children when I was a little bit older. So all of my friends had already gone through this phase and they were so good about really prepping me for that, right? Like be present because it goes so fast and you hear that. What is it? The the days are long and the years are short. I really feel like being an older mom has given me that gift of trying to be as present as possible because it does, it God, it goes so fast. And I just try harder with that than really anything else in my life to be there and not, you know, be the mom that is on her computer. Oh, I don't have time to look at this art or whatever. And I I really am working so hard to design my life and business in a way that it allows me to be able to do that, that I create something that I'm not ultimately a slave to. So it's always so great to have conversations with other really successful entrepreneurs because it's like, okay, what, what are you doing? How are you doing? Because success is about more than money, right? It's for me, it's all the buckets. Are you fulfilled? Are you allowed to be creative? Are your relationships healthy? If you're running around and you're making a billion dollars, but your family hates you, that's not success to me. Like, I feel sorry for you. And especially in Western culture, we value the dollar so, so much. It's like, you've got to have a holistic look at what success looks like. And if you are running yourself into the ground, trying to do this, that's not successful. So I I love having conversations like this. I think they're so valuable and we don't talk about it enough, right? Like we see the quote, oh, money can't buy happiness. But it's like, but what does that mean? How do you create a life where everything is balanced, where you can be present with the people that matter to you the most and you can be fulfilled in your work and all of of those things. So I'm really excited to dive into all that. Yeah, I mean, so much of the conversation that we've been seeing online, and I'm sure you have had private behind the scenes conversations with colleagues and peers, possibly even clients. I know I've been having a lot of them for the last 18 months where women entrepreneurs, many of whom have kids, right? They've got Mm -hmm. lots of responsibilities. They play lots of different roles, but they've just sort of boxed themselves into this way of living and this way Mm -hmm. of being and this way of running a business and leading themselves through their business where, you know, we're hearing like burnout is at an Mm all-time high. People are extremely overwhelmed. They feel really off, inauthentic and out of alignment in their businesses, which ultimately, and I felt that way too. I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about this. You know, mm-hmm. I did a massive pivot in my business. And I think what it comes back to is we created that though, right? So I think mm-hmm. it's been more about being off center or out of alignment or inauthentic with who we are as people first mm-hmm. within ourselves and how we see ourselves and how we're operating inside of our own minds and our own bodies. Because what we're creating on the outside is just reflection of how we're taking care right. of ourselves on the inside. So before we press record, you and I were, ta- which I, we were not planning on even talking about this, <laughs> but you and I started talking about alcohol and drinking mm-hmm. and our own journey with drinking and booze and, you know, kind of coming off of that and removing it from our lives. So, you know, you've been on that. How long have you been on that journey? Tell us a little bit more about that. So I've been sober curious for about two years. So about two and a half years ago, my mother died very unexpectedly. It was incredibly traumatic. My mom was one of the great loves of my life. I just worshiped the ground she walked on. And it really became 
a defining moment in my life of, you know, who are you without her? And by every measure, I have a successful marriage. I had a business that was successful and healthy children, all those things. But it felt like I could go one of two ways. You could go down the grief path and just get stuck in the mud and the muck and all of that. And I started, I got into like workaholism and it was just an effort to outrun grief. And then it was like, okay, let's be still. What really is this a chance to do? And for me, it was a chance to step into the next evolution of myself. And one of the things that really came to the forefront was, you know, what is your relationship to your health? Because my mom died of a heart attack. So that came into the major forefront of my life. I was literally in the middle of a conversation with her when it happened. And that experience was something I never wanted my children to go through. And so I really started looking at my health, my physical health, my mental health, dealing with grief. I didn't want to numb out, which we are so accustomed to doing in our culture, just run away from it and all that. And really started down this rabbit hole of looking within and what does this mean? And a big, big piece of that puzzle was what is my relationship with alcohol? And you and I were talking about how it's just so prevalent in our society. We are conditioned to be motivated by alcohol, be uh, more social with alcohol, reduce stress with alcohol, all of these things. And it was like, but is that the real story? Is that really what's happening? And the more and more I learned, the more and more enlightened I became, the harder it became to, to go back to how it was. And I have been on that journey for two years, just taking long stretches without alcohol, getting into fitness programs and things like that. And every time I'm in a period of sobriety. I am so productive. I'm so clear. But the flip side of that coin that people don't tell you, and I wish more people had told me to prepare me for it, you start to feel all the feels because you're not you're not numbing out anymore. And so learning to sit with difficult things like stress, like grief, and deal with those things in a productive way has really been the the work of my life right now. And it was so foreign to me. I didn't even realize how foreign it was because we are so, and it may not be alcohol for people. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's social media. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's whatever it is. But being able to sit with the hard thing, I didn't realize how difficult that would be, but it is so fulfilling to feel confident in yourself. And, you know, Megan, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier when I first started this journey, it weirded people out because I was in the center of it all. I was the center of the party. I'm like, my family was in the wine industry, like great, great, great. And to even question using alcohol as a crutch and nobody ever wants to call it that, but that's what it is to step away from that and say like, no, I'm I'm not doing that right now. It weirded people out. And what I have realized is it's either we're always a mirror, right? We're all mirrors to each other. And, and I realized this because I used to be this person. I would get weirded out when somebody wasn't drinking around me. And <clears throat> what I realize now is it forces somebody to question like, okay, what's my relationship with alcohol? Or people are uncomfortable when they don't know what's coming. When you've always done something a certain way, 
and then suddenly you shift, people have to kind of relearn who that person is. And that's been a two and a half year thing with me. Like people don't know the Whitney that like wants to be focused on her health and wants to really prioritize mental and physical wellness. And what I'm working through right now is making decisions that are the best thing for me, as opposed to what makes somebody else comfortable. And it's been a lot harder than I thought. Have you noticed in any way, shape or form that it has impacted any of your relationships with people that not that any of your previous relationships or current relationships were necessarily based on alcohol, but to your point, when you stop engaging in that habit, that was such a big part of the relationship and hanging out with that person in the friendship circle, it does change the dynamic a little bit. So mm-hmm. has it changed the dynamic of any of your relationships or friendships in the last two years? Um, in a good way or yeah, like, in, yeah. not necessarily in a bad Some way. In but- a good way. Some in a good way. Like, you know, there's been, there's been periods of time where I don't drink at all. There's been periods of time when it comes back. In some ways, it has been a real breakthrough moment with people I admire because I will, like I went back to drink, I I don't know, it was probably a year ago now, and I just had a terrible night, was totally wrapped up in grief. Like, thank God the women around me were so loving because I did not love myself. I was like, dealing with all of these emotions about not being able to save my mom and all of just nasty, terrible stuff. And they just loved me through it. And it was such a wake up call. Like, okay, there's still stuff I need to work on. Like, okay, this is what happens when you use alcohol as a crutch and you, you still have grief that you need to work through. And it was such a moment of clarity for me with these friends. Like, wow, they like, they love me for who I really am. And those are the people that matter. And then there are the people who only connect to you through alcohol or through trauma bonding or whatever it may be. And it's like, those aren't the friendships I want anyway. Like those aren't forcing me to elevate who I am. So yes, I mean, there were friendships that it wasn't a big announcement. Like I'm not going to be your friend anymore, but they just naturally kind of fall by the wayside. But I mean, frankly, it's for the better. Yeah. Yeah. It just fades away. So, I mean, I'm familiar enough with Charleston. It's just like Mm -hmm. any other city. Like it really is. I mean, I just came back from Austin and you were asking me like, Hey, what'd you do in Austin? Why were you there? Why were you there? And Mm -hmm. I was sharing that, um, a couple of our friends that were going to be there ended up not coming, which resulted in me spending a lot of time by myself. And so I was Mm -hmm. with people during the day each day, but then in the evening, so around dinner time and the nighttime, and I stayed downtown. I mean, I could hear everything. Thank goodness I was on the 10th floor. So then, so all the noise and music wasn't so loud, but I was like, I'm just not the kind of person. This is how we actually got on the subject. I was Uh like, I'm just not the kind of person that's going to go out to the bars and the clubs and the comedy clubs and the dinner, like by myself in a Mm -hmm. metropolitan city, because, and I even said to you, I was like, so much of it centers around partying and drinking Mm -hmm. and I don't drink, which is how we got on this subject. But -hmm. you live in Charleston and so much of the of Charleston, like one part of Charleston is about going out. It Mm -hmm. is about going to dinners. It is a very social place. It is, there's wine, there's liquor, there's bars, there's clubs, Mm -hmm. there's all the things you can get it everywhere. How has it impacted your lifestyle 
if you were doing a lot of those things before, has it changed the way you are living your life now? Well, my life has evolved a lot from having children. You know, I'm not, when I, once I had kids, you know, I'm not interested in what's going on downtown Charleston. You know, we're not going out to a bar every night like we used to. And so in that way, it naturally evolved. But what really happened for me was, okay, what, what am I using alcohol for? And can I have that same experience without it? Mm. So, so you, there was like a curiosity factor for you there first. And that's what kind of, yes. And then the health journey started and it was very clear, very early on that every alcohol for me was the domino. It was like, when that is removed from my life, everything else gets impacted in really good ways. And it was never like, there was no rock bottom. Like there was nothing like that. And that was, that was a mindset shift that I had to have. Cause we always hear these stories in society of like, and they're beautiful stories. Like someone's just at the bottom of the barrel, like they give it up they have this magnificent life now. And I think we think that that's the narrative that you have to have to start questioning what's going on. And it's not like, do you just want to explore what your life looks like when you are totally present because alcohol makes you not very present. And I just had to, I had to realize what was going on. So what I constantly crave, I love connection. I love the appeared vulnerability that comes with sitting on a back porch, sharing bottles of wine with people. But what I started to realize was like, is that real vulnerability? Mm. Like if everyone only does it when they're drinking, like, and no one really remembers it even happening. Like, is that, is that really vulnerable or is it more vulnerable to be like, talk about what our real issues are and how do we work through that in a way that doesn't quite literally destroy our bodies. And I'm there, there's no judgment here. Like I, I have had so many wonderful nights drinking so many. I have also had a lot of not so many wonderful nights or not so many great nights drinking. And the reality that I go to when I'm like questioning, okay, do I want to keep going down this, this path of like sober curiosity? And the reality is I feel amazing, but I feel pressure from people because they're, they're not comfortable with like a Whitney that doesn't drink. I had to realize one, that's their issue, not mine. And two, there have been a thousand times in my life where I regretted either drinking at all or drinking too much, there has never, never been a time where I have regretted staying sober. Yeah. And it's just, it's like awareness after awareness. And some people just aren't ready to to do that. And that's fine. I was not ready to start asking those questions. And people that would come around me who weren't drinking there was a different energy about them and I didn't get it. And it made me very uncomfortable because you, you kind of have to be like in the same, the same energy plane. Right. And there are people that want to question and want to evolve. And I'm not saying this is not about seeking perfection. This is about how do I get to the next evolution of me? And it became very clear that alcohol is not a major player in that equation. And when I started looking around at the women I admired who are very famous and some who are not, like, it just wasn't a thing in their life. Like, I'm not saying they didn't drink, but it just wasn't like an obsession like it is down here. It's like, well, 
How, how can I get here? How can I get a bottle of wine? How can we got to have great wine at dinner? We got to have wine at this event. We got to go to mimosas after X, Y, Z. And it's like, why is this not even a factor in their lives? They're traveling all around the world. They're doing all these amazing things. My business partner is sober. Like, and again, it was never a rock bottom moment. She just like, doesn't like the way it makes her feel. And I admire her so much. And I'm like, there's, there's a different way. And I just never knew it because I'd yeah. never been exposed to it. And so yeah. now like, I love talking about this stuff. Cause again, it's not about being perfect. It's about yeah. asking the questions that help you evolve into a better version of yourself. And for yeah. me that I'm a better version of myself when alcohol is not in the equation. Yeah. I was like your business partner. I mean, I, I never had a rock bottom moment either. Um, I mean, I was telling you, like when I was in college, I think like most people who went to college, I drank and went out to the clubs and the bars five nights a week. I think the only mm-hmm. two nights I didn't go out was Sunday and Monday. Right. And it was just part of, it's so much a part of college culture. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as you get to college, you're like, I was introduced to alcohol in college. I was never mm-hmm. introduced to it prior to college. And, you know, a lot of people that are introduced to it in, as a teenager now in high school. Um, but it was just part of the culture. and. Mm-hmm. You know, as a young person, you really do get sucked into that because you think the only way I'm going to be accepted and have friends and have a social life and be seen as just as cool as the cool kids is mm-hmm. if I am doing the same thing those the, those people are doing. And that really changes when you're an adult. So like your business partner, I didn't have a rock bottom moment in my, I mean, I'm 40 now, but it was just like, I just started evaluating lots of things in my life. And I was Mm -hmm. evaluating whether or not it was contributing to my life in any way, shape or form. And alcohol Mm -hmm. wasn't. And Mm -hmm. it's not like I think alcohol is a, is bad. It's not like it's bad or wrong. It's not bad or wrong. It just was not making me a better human. And Mm -hmm. I would wake up with puffy eyes or I would feel a little tired or I just don't like the feeling of the buzz. I didn't Mm -hmm. like that because you know, for many of us in entrepreneurship, we're on this journey of like taking back control and ownership Mm -hmm. over our thoughts and feelings, because Mm -hmm. you realize like mindset is such a big part of this. And I'm going to start creating the story and telling the story that I actually want to live. And when I was under the influence of even a half a glass of wine, that control disappears. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't able to control what I wanted to think. And I didn't like what I was thinking. And Mm -hmm. so mine was just like, I don't really like how it makes me feel and it's not making me any better. So why would I do it? Yeah. That's a very similar story to her. Yeah. It was just like, "Eh, it's not contributing. Yeah. Mine is more along the lines that not only was it not contributing, but there was just moment after moment. It's like, you know, you feel like garbage the next day, the clarity that comes. So I, I took a several month break and it really opened my eyes because I, it's so interesting how people are like, oh, well, I could give it up anytime I want to. And it's like, how do you know that? You've been drinking since you were 20, you're 40, 50, 60 years old. You've literally never taken a break. And I don't think people, the vast majority of people, I'll say, they don't really stop to think about that. Like they've never taken an extended period of time away from it because it's so embedded in our culture. And I can say that because I was totally that way. And when I took the extended break, it was like, oh, wow. Like anxiety started going to near zero. You know, you're, you're more motivated, you're up earlier, more productive. Um, and it really just 
put me in a place that I was like, it was like Pandora's box. Like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. This is what this looks like. And then I would go back to drinking and it it would like come in like a, a wave coming into a room. It's like, oh, there's, there's that anxiety. There's that puffiness. There's that not feeling great. You feel great in the moment. You know, those two, three glasses of wine feel awesome. But I think once I started reading about the health impacts of it and the mental impacts, it's like, oh, this is why I never had an explanation for what was happening, Mm -hmm. but it's very hormonal. It's very, um, very all interconnected. And, you know, the body's like a spider web, you pull on one part and the whole thing Mm -hmm. shifts. Like that's what was happening. And I didn't understand the relationship to serotonin and dopamine and all of these things and what happens when we drink. And it intellectually, it started to make more sense to me. Like, ah, this is why I feel so great when I'm not. This is why I feel like garbage when I do. And it has just been a series of like these micro awakenings. And I think that's another thing we get caught up in is like the, the Cinderella story of, you know, I was at rock bottom and I lost my family and I'm living under a bridge and you don't need that for anything, not alcohol, not social media, not food, not anything. You don't have to have that. It can simply be a question of, is this contributing to my life in the way that I want it to? Yeah. And the longer that I explore this, that answer is becoming closer and closer, closer to no. And if, if it works for you, awesome. This isn't anything against alcohol itself. I'm just saying for me, like what has been so beneficial and that I have had literally hundreds of people at this point, when I share about this on social media, they reach out and they're like, oh my God, I have been thinking about taking a break for so long. Like, how do you navigate this? Because there is a lot of social pressure because it's such the norm. Yeah. And I think we should be talking about this more. Like you don't have to have a rock bottom to take a break from something that may not be contributing in your life. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to explore that. It's okay to talk about it to other people. It helps people. There's a lot of people who have curiosity about this that don't want to explore it. And I know that because I was that person. And it wasn't until Megan Conter, who, you know, was very open about her journey with, you know, gray area drinking and being sober curious and ultimately sobriety for her that I was like, oh, Oh, people are like talking about this. Okay, cool. And so I think it's such a gift when we can talk about real things that impact our lives and businesses because they do. My company is 4X since this journey started. Like it has like ROI to it beyond feeling great, which is should be your ultimate ROI, but I'm much more productive. I am much more confident. And, you know, it's not a perfect journey at all, but asking the questions, I think is the right step. Like just those questions. Does this help? Who do I want to be? Who are the people around me and what are they doing? And and then you're figuring out who am I without it? And I know you've been on such a health journey, Mm -hmm. weight loss, training for marathons, doing 75 hard. And you said like the drinking was a domino that then knocked over all the other dominoes. So once you made that decision, like tell us some of the other decisions, whether it's business or health or friendships, relationships, parenting, you know, that it's impacted in a positive way and how your life. So when I first started eliminating alcohol, there were obvious health benefits. I mean, almost immediately my sleep got better my skin got better. 
weight started to drop because I mean, that domino, when you're drinking, you start eating gross things and you wake up puffy and you're retaining water and all that stuff. So there, there were the immediate ones of that, but go further down the line. And like the longer this, this journey has happened and the longer the stretches become without alcohol, I wake up very early. I like to have like time to myself before the chaos of the day starts with work and kids and all that, all that great stuff. But, you know, for me now on Saturday morning, it used to be, oh, you know, sleep in as late as possible. The kids get up, you're kind of dragging ass for a little bit. You get your coffee. Okay. Then, then it's like, you know, 10 o'clock. Okay. We're ready to go. Now I've, run six miles. I've gone to yoga. I've walked home. I've done my meditation. I've done my journaling, like before people even get out of bed. Yeah. And it's sobriety allows me to do that because I'm in bed. I've had a great night's sleep. I'm up. And like, let's say it's a work day. I'm up at four 30 in the morning. I either go knock my health stuff out first or I'll do that later, or I can get up on the computer and knock out three hours of work before people even think about it Yeah, because they're trying to sleep off. Like, and this is what people don't understand. I didn't understand either. Like you don't have to be hammered every night to feel positive impacts. Alcohol dramatically affects your sleep, no matter how much you're drinking. It, we think it helps us fall asleep, but it actually disrupts our sleep all throughout the night. So, and alcohol did not know this until a year ago. It actually stays in your system four days. So if you don't drink on Sunday, Monday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever you're drinking, or if you only drink Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday night, you're you're never without the mm. impacts of it in your system. Wow. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I had no clue. And so I'm like, oh, wow. So there's the health impacts. I'm up earlier. I feel better. The inflammation in my body. I mean, I've lost 45 pounds because I'm eating better. I'm making better decisions about that. Once you see those impacts, you start setting different goals. So now, yeah, and let me tell y'all, people that know me will know this. I hate running. And I mean, I hate it. I've hated it my entire life, but I know it's a mental game, right? So I wanted to take on a challenge that was going to challenge me mentally. So started getting into running. It's been really great for my mental health to do that. Surprise to me because I hated it my entire life. I just, I feel better in my body, which allows me to show up more confidently for my family, for my friends, for my clients, all the way around. And I'm I'm never hazy when I'm sober. Like I am alert as they can be and I'm present which is what I really love the most. So there are times when, sure, would it be easier to grab a bottle of wine and numb out from hard things like stress or grief or whatever it is? Absolutely. But if I can just sit with myself for 15 minutes and be like, okay, what's going on here with like work through this, the confidence that I have doing that instead of, oh, I'm going to sit down and have three drinks, then I'm going to feel bloated and gross in the morning, then it's going to be in my system for four days, that like all that, I can just settle it right there in the moment and move forward. So yeah, it it is. And people have different dominoes, but alcohol for me, for sure, is the domino that will fall and positively impact everything else. 
Yeah. And like we said at the beginning, like it's it for somebody listening to this, it could be something else. It could be yeah. like binging out on Netflix. It could yep. be emotional eating. It could, I mean, there's so many things that it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, mine too was like, you know, you were talking about like being puffy and feeling inf- inflammation and not wanting to get up and literally like what I used to do, I've done this at different times in my life since being a mom, I would wake up, get bright and ready. And then I would go back to bed. I would literally like get back in bed and go back to sleep for like an hour or two. But mine was like staying up late and watching TV. Yeah. Once, you know, everybody had got to bed, fed all the things. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just need like my own time. I just need like free time to like decompress. But I was using Netflix or something else Mm -hmm. to do that from like 10 o'clock at night to 12 or 1230 or one. Mm -hmm. And I like to get up early. I mean, when I stopped doing that, I started getting up at 5am at the gym by 530. And it was just that, you know, obviously it's a thought first, but then Mm -hmm. that leads to behavior changes, which then impacts your life in so many ways that you can't. So many. Well, and somebody, I can't remember who said it, but whoever said it, it really was like a mental life-changing thing for me. We often use our weekends to run away from the stress of the week, right? But what if you took those weekends and built a life that you didn't have to run away from? Mm. And I heard that and I was like, oh my God, because that that was me. I was just running around, stressed out, trying to do all the things and be all the things, especially as women, we often try and do. And it would be like, oh, thank God it's Friday. Mm -hmm. And then Monday you wake up and it's the same thing. Here we go. And it's a cycle that we get into. And that really changed my mentality. It's like, well, what if, what if I didn't like dread Mondays anymore? Cause they were just like every other day, like I'm being productive. I'm showing self-love and instead of destroying my body with alcohol and gross food and not working out because I feel like garbage. And, you know, then you get in that shame cycle of, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have eaten that, all that garbage. What if I just spent the weekend like being really kind to myself and Mm -hmm. spending time with the people that I love and doing things that are good for my body instead of destroying it? And again, it's, it's not perfect. It's not designed to look perfect. And that was a misconception that I had too. Mm. I was like, if I make this call that like, you know, I want to drink less or not at all or whatever. And then I go out and have drinks. Well, it's over. And it's like, no, that's garbage. That is a narrative that people buy into because people make a lot of money off of our shame. It's like, no, anything that you're doing to make a better choice for yourself is a good thing. And like, you don't have to become dry as a sponge to to feel the effects of drinking less or scrolling less or eating less garbage or whatever it is that is getting in the way of you being your best version that that thing for me just happens to be alcohol yeah i love what you just shared use the weekends to build the kind of life that you desire to have yeah and that's then incredible. you don't feel like you have to run away from. That's incredible. And that's what we do. Like yeah. people make a lot of money off these narratives, guys. You know, buy this and you'll be happy. Do this and you'll be happy. Be this and you'll be happy. And it's just like, why don't we not compartmentalize our lives to like 
we, we have two days a week where we're doing and being who and what we want to be. And then the rest of the week is just like garbage that we commit to everybody else. It's like, what if we took those two days and created the life that we don't have to escape from? Yeah. Like, ah, mind blown. Yeah. Totally different perspective. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Awesome. I would, I would love to, I mean, Whitney and I would both love to hear your feedback. If you have, you know, if you're in your own journey again, like whether it's alcohol or it's food or it's Netflix or it's scrolling on social media, comparing yourself to everybody or like my stuff with Netflix, it was like watching things that were like psychological thrillers, but then I yes. was sleep with that at night, which yes. is why I was waking up <laughs> not feeling very good. <laughs> you know, I love I like those, to like, de-stress with serial killer documentary. Uh, yeah. Like, I was what? definitely watching. All of those things. That's totally me. <laughs> and Sean was like, you're like a different person. Could you please stop? Like, literally, he was like, Megan, you have to stop watching this stuff because it is warping your mind. You're just like waking up like a crazy person. And yes, it really was having totally. that kind of impact. But, you know, Whitney and I are not the only ones. Like, every human being is probably going through some sort of experience like this. So hopefully what you've heard today is like the sign you needed to hear but I would certainly love to hear your feedback. I'm sure Whitney would have like a no problem if you like stalked her on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, reach out to me. Yes. Like we'd love to hear your story and, you know, give us your feedback on this. And Whitney, where can people follow you, find you and do all the things with you? Yeah. So you can find me. I'm pretty easy to find. You can find me anywhere at Whitney McDuff. So WhitneyMcDuff.com. My social handles are all Whitney McDuff. I am easy breezy to find. Awesome. And she's so nice too, showing up with her pearls. I try. <laughs> yes. Y'all, y'all can't see us, but I'm normally in like 500 strands of pearls. As soon as, soon as Megan got on, I was like, oh, are we not going to be on camera? Like ripped off all my pearls. My eyelashes came off. We're down to the bare bones here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We are. Awesome, Whitney. Thank you so much. Like, I'm just so grateful that this is what we decided to talk about today. So Same. thank you so much for sharing yeah. your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll have to do a follow-up. Like what's it like a year from now with all this? Yes. Hopefully I'll be running a marathon in Italy doing something cool. There you go. Awesome. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.